Those were our humble beginnings. That was us in this room, different situation of seats, different people. Some of y'all still the same. Um, and here we are today. Happy anniversary, Transit Church. All right, so the last three weeks we've been looking at um, just the foundation of the church. And as we are doing that, we're uh, celebrating our anniversary. And it's right that we would do that. I, you know, I learned that from, uh, I wasn't a Christian growing up, but I grew up in a uh, very small kind of country Baptist church. And the Baptists do that. I mean, they do that well. They pause and like every year they reflect and, uh, and sort of thank God for what he's doing. So that, you know, in the, in the likes of that, that really is what we're doing. And for the last two weeks and today as well, I've asked and answered a question that I think is pertinent for the church to think about as we're looking at what we are founded on. Two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, I asked the question why the church matters and a simplistic answer to a very complex um, question to ask is that, the, I mean, the church is the vehicle that God uses to advance his kingdom. He brings people like you and I who are far from God and through the, the person of Jesus and his work on the cross uh, and the, the gospel that, that we read about, he brings us near, reconciles us to God. He puts us into the church and that church is really the the representatives, uh, we're emissaries, special agents on the planet for God, wherever we live, work, breathe, recreate, and all that stuff. And, uh, and God uses that to, to change his world. Two weeks ago, uh, I guess really last week, we looked at the question and answered the question, uh, who are we? And really that was a, a vision, mission kind of, a, kind of a sermon. And today we're gonna continue that. I'm gonna continue it hopefully a little bit more practically today um, asking the question, what's next? Specifically, looking back, I mean, what, what have we done? And then um, looking a little bit forward, just a little bit into what might, uh, where we might be going. And we're going to use the, the foundational text of Acts chapter 2 to do that. Here's the, here's the background to Acts chapter 2. Actually, Acts, the book of Acts, is a sequel, the, the prequel being the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel writer Luke tells us uh, he, he focuses in on uh, Jesus, the man who is God. And like all the other Gospels, he lays out the biography of Jesus. Luke does more than any other Gospel writer does and tells us about Jesus' birth. He tells us about Jesus, the man who was also God uh, in, in the flesh. And then like all the other Gospels also, he shows us Jesus going to the cross, dying in our place for our sin, being buried in a grave and then resurrecting. And then that's where he leaves us. And Acts 2, Acts chapter, uh, the, the gospel, the, the book of Acts, um, picks up where that leaves off. And so what, are the, what does the, 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 the book of Acts tell us about? Well, it starts with this idea that Jesus was raised from the, from the dead. And Jesus gathers his disciples to them and he tells them, hey, I'm getting ready to ascend to heaven. And they actually see him go up. And this is this really comical scene of Jesus is ascending into heaven, and they're just staring at him going up. And then angels have to tell him, say, what are you doing? Like, he's gone. He's gone to heaven to do his role, seated at the right hand of God, and he's going to come back just as you've seen him leave. And one of the most important things that Jesus does next is he sends the Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit who falls on all kinds of people from various nationalities and ethnic backgrounds on the day of Pentecost, 
The Holy Spirit is given, and that Holy Spirit is what empowers the church to do the very thing that God calls us to do. And then the Apostle Peter stands up in the middle of all that, and he proclaims the gospel, that this Jesus who was alive and then dead and and resurrected, he is the very one that was proclaimed throughout all the Old Testament that would be the Messiah. And here was Peter's message. He said, repent, believe, and be baptized. And then we see what, what happens in verse 41. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is, a, this is a spectacle. This is a miracle. Day one of the church in Jerusalem there's like a thousand person church. That's a mega church. That's, that's, that's like a church planner's greatest dream and worst nightmare in the same moment. I mean, if you're a church planner, you got a thousand, really, I mean, 3,000 people. You're just like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm a mega church pastor on my first day. And then after that day is over, you're taking a deep breath and say, oh my God, what has happened? I've got 3,000 people. And there's no church planter. There's very few church planters, let me say that, except for Andy Stanley, I think, who had maybe five to 10,000, and the, and the Passion Church in Atlanta that had Chris Tomlin as a worship leader that had maybe 20,000. 20, There's no one besides those two that, that wants 3,000 people on, on one day of planting a church, but there they were, 3,000 people. And when we look at the early church, it's hard to explain this, this miracle, this spectacle that happens in just uh, natural language. It really was a move of God. How does 120 ordinary, mostly uneducated people explode to more than 3,000 in one day and then become the most important religious group in all of the Roman Empire and the, the known world? in the days to come. And we can't explain that by any natural means. It is the move of God. And that really is what Luke will unpack in the rest of this, this book, the movement of the Holy Spirit using the apostles and this church to grow it, to be the agent by which God brings attention to himself, makes himself known, and then changes the world. And, and here's what I think is the, most, uh, the best and most plausible reason for why the church was able to do what it was able to do. And it's the simple fact that the things that happened were true, that Jesus was real, that he really lived, that he really died, that he really did resurrect. And as he said he would do, he actually did build his church. And this is the beginning of that church coming to fruition. Jesus sets his love on a group of people that we call the church. And with that church, he sends uh, the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he sent them out to, uh, to their neighbors, to all the known worlds, their workplaces, really out into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to change the world as we know it. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is what the church looked like. In, in, in other words, what we're reading in Acts chapter 2 today is the ideal. So grab your Bibles. We're going to read this together. And I'm going to pray. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Read this along with me out loud. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gathering of your church and for a beautiful day that you've given us. Even as we celebrate our anniversary, God, we're not celebrating our work. We're celebrating your work amongst us. It is um, unfathomable that you would use people like us um, to do the things that you call us to do. And, and Lord, we, uh, we stand in awe of you. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you that you would give us an opportunity to come alongside you in your mission of making disciples, that you would allow us the opportunity to be a part of your church, to see her in her glory in the world, and Lord, that you would use this church to, to change uh, uh, the people right here in the midst of Kingstown. So bless our time together today. Uh, help us to see your word as it is, and uh, to point us to Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue talking about vision, and we're going to use Acts 2 to sort of help us to do that. We're going to look back on the, the first five years of our church, project for it a little bit, and ask ourselves, what is next uh, for us as a church? But here's the reality, at least from where I, from where I stand. Um, even as we try to look forward to, to what might be ahead for our church, we really can't do that without, without an accurate understanding of the foundation of the church. And that's what Acts chapter 2 gives us. It gives us really the, the foundation for what the global church is built on. Uh, when we look back at the foundation of the church, what we're doing is reminding ourselves of the church's roots, of where she came from. Who is the church supposed to be? What did the early church do? And having settled that, we use that to drive who we are supposed to be. And here's what I'm convinced that Acts chapter 2 tells us about the early church. And it's one word. It says that they were devoted. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? It's, it's to make a wholehearted commitment to something. It's to give yourself completely away to something. Uh, a devoted family man is going to give himself in various means to his family. Not his needs, their needs. Not his wants, their wants. He's going to make sure that those things are, are, are right for them more than just himself. A woman who is devoted to her business gives her time and her energy and her resources managing and growing that business to whatever her goals might be. And Luke here is writing that the early church devoted themselves, and he lists four things in particular, and then he tells us about several things that were the outworking or the fruit of that devotion. And the, and the, re the reason why the early church was devoted, why they gave themselves away to these things, is because they had bought into the reality that there was a man, a Savior named Jesus, who had radically given himself away to them for their, uh, for their good. And so what Luke describes first was a devotion to teaching, specifically the apostles' teaching. I think it's important that Luke mentions this first. It tells us what the church is built on. Jesus says in, in John 17, this is the night that he was betrayed. This is the eve of his crucifixion, that 
John's gospel tells us he prayed that his disciples might be sanctified by the truth of God's word. And what we're reading here on the really the heels of Jesus dying and resurrecting and ascending into heaven is an indication that Jesus' prayer came true pretty quickly. The, Luke is writing the history of the early church and saying already, moments after Jesus died, that they were depending on and being devoted to God's word. This, uh, I mean, the, the, the word teaching here is a Greek word, didache, it's the word doctrine. And so if we would simply look back to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, it gives us uh, just... The the indication that the focus of the apostles teaching was nothing other than the doctrine of Jesus. And, and, And what did Peter preach about on the day of Pentecost? He preached that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. That Jesus is the seed of David, that he's the anointed one. He's the very one that God promised the Messiah, the seed who Genesis chapter three uh prophesied would crush the head of Satan and deliver his people from the consequences of of sin and death. Not only is he the Christ, but he's the Lord, the one who is to be exalted at God's right hand. It would be wrong for us to superimpose a 21st century uh, revelation on the early church. But in the full extent of what Luke means here, he says being devoted to the apostles' teaching means that they were adhering to the authority of the Bible. Now, these Christians here, these early Christians, all they would have had were the scrolls, the manuscripts of the Old Testament. But in the full meaning, what Luke is saying is the church is to be a fellowship where the Bible is loved and read and studied and obeyed and relied on. Ultimately, what Luke is saying is that what the apostles taught in this day, what they orally said and eventually what would be written down is scripture. And what scripture says is what God is saying. And that was the authority they believed in. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. But they were also devoted to fellowship. And this word fellowship has gotten a bad rap in our day, hadn't it? I mean, fellowship has been um, relegated to chit-chat and uh, finger foods in the fellowship hall of church. Or, or a fellowship in church is a church that just likes to eat. Y'all have been a part of those, right? I mean, we're going to do that after, afterwards here, right? I mean, this, it's an important part of the church, fellowship. Um, here, the original Greek is, is helpful. Uh, fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. In the New Testament days, it wasn't just chit-chat and, and finger foods. It actually meant that they were sharing all things in common. So Luke provides us a vivid picture of what sharing looked like for the early church community. He says in verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, does that mean that we as a church today are supposed to give up everything we got because somebody else has a need? It doesn't say that your stuff isn't your stuff and that you can't voluntarily keep your stuff if you want to. It just says that these people had so much in common that they were willing to let go of the things that they didn't need to help those who were in need. And sometimes they probably gave up things that they did need for the good of mankind. Um, particularly, the word common here um, comes from the same word group as the word fellowship. And so what did these Christians have a common thing in? They had a common faith in Jesus and their common faith in Jesus, that they had been forgiven of their sins, that they had been immersed into the life of the church, that they had been given a common fellowship of the Holy Spirit, made them such that they were led to share 
all kind of material things with those who didn't have as they did. I like what verse 20, verse 46 goes on to say. Luke uses the word together. In the New American Standard, it's the word one mind. In other words, somehow their common faith in Jesus made them united. Because they were a disparate people like we are. They were coming from all different kinds of cultures, a couple different languages. They would have had different ethnic backgrounds, much like we are today. But he says that they were united and as they met each day in the temple courts and gathered together in each other's homes, this consistent fellowship of the early church gave its members a sense of responsibility towards one another. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were also devoted to, to worship. This is a both a, a reference to their fellowship, but also a reference to their, their worship. The two, the two went together, and we'll see that later on in the text. There is a definite article in the Greek before the word bread in verse 42. And so it technically reads that they were the breaking of the bread. The, bre- the, the breaking of the bread. And so this is Luke's kind of language to, um, to talk about the Lord's Supper, about taking communion. Think about Jesus as in the midst of fellowshipping, like on the, the day of Passover, uh, even the night when he was betrayed, he was sitting having a meal, the Passover meal with his disciples, and the gospel writers will tell us that in the middle of that meal, Jesus broke bread, okay? That's both fellowship and there's also the, the institution of the Lord's Supper happening in concert with each other, and I think the same idea is being referenced here. But particularly, the breaking of the bread was reference to communion, this, this thing that Jesus did, he instituted for us to remember the gospel, to remember his death and resurrection uh, for us. And the other aspect of corporate worship, of course, being prayer. Again, in the Greek, there's another de- definite article here. So it's not just that they were praying as they were fellowshipping, but it says they were rendering the prayers. And in other words, there was some kind of, there was a formal liturgical sense of praying that they had, that they uh used as they came together collectively as the church. And so what would that have been? They would have sang and recited the, the, the Psalms. They would have come up with doxologies uh, from the apostles' teaching. They would have started to create creeds at this time from the apostles' teaching and well. And I think in the big picture, I mean, we, we can stand back. Think about this. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, worship, and prayer How did the spectacle of the early church happen such that this church grew from 3,000 and the Lord kept adding to their number day by day? All these things were happening in concert with each other, but you can't negate the fact that they actually were praying. Perhaps the praying wasn't any more pronounced than all the other things they were devoted to, but definitely the more I pastor, the more I learn. There's nothing that we do that if you aren't praying about it is, is, is done from a, a godly sense, what the Lord is in it. And so it was their devotion to prayer that, that helped all this to happen. And so what's the extent of the early church's devotion? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, worship, and prayer. And we're not going to take time to go through the rest of these verses, but all the other verses really are the outworking. I call it the fruit of their devotion. And what does the text tell us? It says they believed and had all things in common. They, they were devoted to a few things, and the outworking of that is that they all believed together and had a lot of things in common. People who came from 
all different kind of backgrounds and had different upbringings and definitely different thoughts about how life should live. But God had a common Jesus, a common fellowship in the Holy Spirit, and they resulting of that, they had all things in common. They willingly shared their possessions. They gathered and they scattered, fellowshipping. And I like particularly what Luke writes in verse 47. And this is a semblance of evangelism. He says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, they believed so much in the apostles' teaching and knew intuitively that their witness was important that it wasn't just they were occupied with learning and sharing and worshiping that they forgot about the, their own personal stake in talking about Jesus and the gospel that they had believed in. They didn't forget about their witnessing. And so here's a couple of things to notice in this text. And then we're going to move on to some other things. Notice they, they didn't say a few people devoted themselves. They didn't say it was the paid staff of the church that devoted themselves. They didn't say it was just the leaders, the volunteer people. Uh, this special old couple that was sitting in the, in the congregation that just loved everybody, and they were the ones that were devoted, and they mentored everybody else to be devoted. It tells us it was a they. You see that in the text? They devoted themselves. Everybody to whom Jesus had extended his love and his mercy through the gospel devoted themselves to a, a few things, teaching, worshiping, fellowshipping, and praying. Everyone together devoted themselves to these things, I think is what Luke is implying. Not just one or few. I think he's insinuating all of them. They were together on the journey. Perhaps your experience is, is like mine. You've been to a, a church that did these things, but they did them singularly. Y'all have gone to churches that have focused on just teaching. Teaching is the, is the thing that that church does. Some, so we, we call it the, the word church, right? Um, those are the Presbyterians, and, and I think, right? I mean, the Presbyterians are, are kind of wound tight around the, around the word. You're influenced by that. I would call us a teaching church. Uh, Nick, Nick and I both go to a Presbyterian seminary, and, I mean, we're influenced by that. So you're being influenced by the primacy of the word. And you're going to hear me say several times, I mean, we lead with the word purposefully. Why? Because that's how God informs you of who he is, and he tells you of your response. How do you know about God? Because he tells us who he is in his word. And so, you know, we're, I, I'm not harping upon that. Some of you all have been a part of churches that fellowship in churches. Those are the Baptists. They're good at that, aren't they? The Baptists are also good at evangelism, world evangelism, missions and stuff, fellowship in churches, uh, uh, worship in churches. Those are the charismatics, right? I mean, hands up, like, oh, I just want to bask in the presence of God and just spend all our time. Charismatics and Pentecostals are good at praying, the praying churches. So what, what we find sometimes is we'll have a church and they will focus on one of those areas, the detriment of all the others. And they'll be good at it, but they'll I mean, they'll be singularly good. And none of the other stuff will happen, at least not happen to to, to any measure that you could say they that they're that it's a, it's a focus of the church. And I think one of the reasons why perhaps the church has been relegated to uh, to where it is today in our in our society, to be thought to be ineffective is because as a church, we have singled out these things that we think, all right, we're going to do this well and we're not going to do any of that stuff uh, at all to the, 
um, you know, pushing the other stuff to the side instead of saying, you know what, I think perhaps we should just do all these things in balance. And so the world looks at us and they look at us bickering and pointing fingers at each other as we're saying, uh, well, you do that. We don't like that. We're going to do this. And we forget that we're the hope of the world. So what's the key? I think the key is that we're devoted, we should be devoting ourselves to all of these things, teaching and fellowshipping and worshiping and praying, doing them all in balance. And with that, it's probably right for us to ask ourselves, so how does what we are doing, we as a church, transit church, line up with what the early church um, did? What are we devoting ourselves to? Are we giving ourselves away to something that won't last? Or are we devoting it to the one who radically gave himself away for us and to us? And so that's a good transition let's, to ask. Let's go back and ask ourselves, where have we been? And I can't dwell here too long. I mean, a lot has happened in five years. Who has been, been here five years? They're all in the back. <laughs> Who has been here four years? Check it out. A few of y'all. Who has been three years? Who has been here three years? Yeah, you've come and gone. There's a couple of y'all. Who here has been uh, three years again? Anybody here been here three years? Two years? One year? Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. Less than a year. All right. I, yeah, that's, that's a good number. All right. So I, I can't rehearse all that we've done. So I'm going to very quickly um, sort of sum it up with, with two, uh, two pictures, really, two things. The first is fruit. The other will be struggle. So fruit. We've seen a lot of fruit in, in five years. And here's the, the first area of fruit is maturity. We have gone from um, my family and a dream. Uh, we were in North Carolina. I was on church out of staff, and we just had a dream, a dream that it took 10 years to come to fruition for us to get to this place. So we started a, a community group. Actually, we announced that we were planning a church in my, in my mega church in North Carolina, and it's a military town, and we had some military folk that were moving to the D.C. area, and we brought about six families and some strap hangers. Strap hangers is a parachutist term, so for those of you from... Fort Bragg area, you know what I'm talking about, right? So strap hangers, and we all, I mean, we put our house in the market, and people started leaving, like military families. Y'all, y'all pick up and leave when the Army says leave, don't you? Um, and so, and then we had a few other people, the Jagways and uh, the Duhames, and Dre and Febby left way ahead of all the rest of us. I mean, it's just, it's just a few of us. And then uh, we got here. Um, we set up in our house, got our, put our kids in, in public school for the first time, and then we called everybody, had a, hey, let's have a potluck, you bring some food, I'm going to tell you about a church I'm trying to plant. And, uh, and we started having church on Sunday afternoons, and we did that for six months, and the Lord added to our number. We started talking and thinking and praying about what it might look like to build a gospel-centered church to where, you know, that, that we would create here in this area in Kingstown. And... Uh, and we don't take any credit for that. We give the credit to, to Jesus. Jesus builds his church, one person, one family at a time. And so we've seen maturity uh, that, and that we've gone from this young idea of planting a church to a full-fledged church with, I mean, look at what we got. We got people and staff and volunteers and all y'all sitting there. It's cool. Thank God for that. We've seen maturity in, we've seen our fruit in transformation. And when we talk about transformation, of course, 
Uh, think about last week's sermon. We're talking about changed lives. Those are people that are saved, people that are coming to faith in Jesus, that are hearing the gospel, that are fit, that are feeling the conviction of sin and knowing they need a savior. And we've seen that happen in our church. The sacrament of baptism is is how we recognize it and how we how we celebrate that. Baptism is a picture of of us dying to sin and being raised to newness of life. And we immerse a person completely in water and 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 uh, show that sign and symbol uh, with a, a bas- baptismal tank. And we, over the last five years, have celebrated thirteen baptisms. That's not a lot, but it's significant in that each one of those 13 people represents a life that's changed. It's someone that's come to faith. They've come to a knowledge of the gospel. They have been brought from darkness to light, and that's worthy to be celebrated. And we'll celebrate baptism again uh, when it gets a little warmer around August time frame. We've got two people already, two young people that want to get baptized. And perhaps if you're sitting out there and you uh, are, are just wrestling with this idea of trusting in Jesus as a savior of your soul, forgiving you of your sins, um, then we would uh, want to talk with you about that as well. We've seen the fruit of spiritual formation. And when we think about spiritual formation, we're talking about coming to, um, to know, love, and serve Jesus. And we've seen people grow in, uh, in this area. We, we lead with the word. And so I would like, like to say that God has shepherded us well through, I mean, through our pulpit ministry. Um, and I mean, we're a church that believes that the best way for you to learn about who God is is for us to open the Bible, for us to go through books of the Bible at a time, and, and not to just pick topics that are going to tease us, you know, a, a, a topic of, you know, parenting one week. Uh, child-rearing the next week, um, work the next week, and give you seven steps to those. And we're just, um, it doesn't mean we're not going to do those. It just means that, that ha- that's not the vision that God has given us, that the best way that we were to grow is, is understanding what God has meant for us in the totality of the Word. And sometimes when you just start with a book and you go all the way through it, trying, uh, you know, basically unpacking every verse, then what's going to happen is the pastor's going to be forced to talk about things that he normally wouldn't pick because they're contentious. And there's some things in here that you don't want to hear about because you know they're contentious and you're going to be challenged. And so that really is how God has shepherded us in that. But the place that we really see spiritual formation happening is in our community groups. And we, I mean, we put all our rocks in in this community group basket. You know, our job as a church is not to provide you a service as if you were consumers. That's not what church is. We're supposed to be equipping you, Ephesians 4.11 tells us, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and our community groups help us to do this. And so in five years, we've gone from two community groups. It was our, the tumors group and the workmen's group. Remember that, Abby? Yeah, yeah. Started, I mean, humble beginnings. And we've grown to, I mean, we've had as much as like the nine groups that we have, nine families or individuals that are leading groups out of their home. And that's not including the, the, ministry that we, the ministries that we have to men, to women, to students, to our, our kids, and to this huge population of moms and tots that we have at the transit. And uh, a year ago, we started a, a precept community group for people who just wanted to learn how to study the Bible, and that's gained traction and grown fruit. Last winter, we had a Financial Peace University class to help people 
um, understand just dealing with their money and getting out of debt. That showed a lot of fruit. And really our aim here is to help people have a deeper foundation in their faith, to be better equipped to live, love, and serve Jesus, to be better followers of him, to learn to read and understand your Bible so that you can apply it to your life, to get the fellowship that you need, to do the one another of Scripture, and oh, by the way, also learn how to be on mission with Jesus as a Christian. So we've gained fruit in spiritual formation. We've had some fruit in involvement. And here I'm talking about service. You know, it takes at least 25 people to, to actually make this service happen. That's from those who pick up the trailer, drive the truck here, the people that help unload, setting all this stuff up, all the stuff out in the lobby, and all of our different departments. Media, worship, guest services, logistics, definitely kids ministry back there. There's like 15 to 20 people right now back in kids ministry helping to disciple all the kids that are back. I mean, there's as many kids back there as there are adults in here right now. We are a church of families. And there's another 21 people that are involved during the week to orchestrate our community group structure. Another 21 people during the regular week to orchestrate our community group structure. And these, I think, are indicative of how we are. We're a church like every other church. We're a church... uh, of, of volunteers who love the Lord and consequently because we have the same common faith in Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who love each other. Here's the truth. Nobody comes to a church and immediately thinks about serving. I mean, we want to want to come in, sort of sit down, get the lay of the land, trying to figure out what church is all about, right? We want to do that. But I think that one of the neat things about our church is that many of you jump right in really quickly. Uh, half of you are military, so I think that helps you understand the the sort of ins and outs of not wasting your time and sort of getting getting in because you know you might not be here that long. There is a there is a tendency to to look at serving and approach it in the in the sense of it's a task and there's plenty of people to do the task. And so we think about, well, you know, there's somebody else can open the door, somebody else can plug the coffee pot in, somebody else can make the coffee, somebody else can serve the kid, you know, you know set the kids ministry up and, and serve those people back there. I mean, it's, it's a job to be done, and I know somebody's got to do it. But I would like you to give you this other perspective. It's not just a job that has to get done. Surely it's a, a task, and someone needs to do it if we are to be the church that we need to be. But that, that's not just what is going on. Here's what's going on. When we are involved, when we serve, someone is using their gifts to show God's servant heart to the body of Christ and to those guests that worship with us. And that's what, we, that's what you're doing. So when someone greets you in the door, they're showing you hospitality as a representative of who God is. Why? Because God is a hospitable God. God is so hospitable that he loved you when you were his enemy and welcomes you into his family when you've sinned against him. And who does that? And so some of the things that you experience when you come to our church, they're purposeful because we want you to be invited. We want you to feel the welcome, not just of people, but welcomed by God himself and, you know, through us as his agents. We're trying to set a culture of welcoming people. We don't serve coffee so you can have your perfect consumeristic coffee as you're sitting down, listening to Jeff or Nick preach as if we were some spectacle. 
right? Like a movie theater. That's not what we're doing. We serve coffee as an aspect of our hospitality to aid people in connecting. So you can talk and hang out around the atmosphere of the church, the people of God, and that you would feel welcome in the midst of that. A little bit of culture and spiritual um, things together to set the mood for us um, wanting to be together and growing together as a church. So when we are serving in those different ways, we're showing God's heart in a very powerful way. And the last thing I'll mention is our missional endeavors. We've had a lot of fruit in this area. People ask me all the time, what are you doing? How how are you involved in the community? And we're involved in a lot of ways, both locally and globally. Probably one of the best sermons that I've preached is a sermon that the the recording didn't get caught. It was the last sermon in our Philippians. It, 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 It got distorted. Really, it was the last sermon in our Philippians series, and, uh, and, and I don't brag about my sermons ever, um, but this was a good one, and maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll preach it again sometime, but I talked about what you, you know, when you are a part of a church and you're giving of yourself and giving of your resources, you take credit for all those things that the church is doing. Here's what the church, the church is doing. We're involved locally. We partner with three nonprofits, Bethany House that um, aids uh, abuse victims, assist pregnancy that comes alongside couples that are, are, are thinking about aborting their baby and tries to help them come to a, a different uh, decision. Central Union Mission that serves the homeless population here in D.C. and, and Northern Virginia. And, and of course, these nonprofits serve the neediest parts of our community. What do we do? We come alongside them, mostly with resources, but every once in a while we actually go and do projects. And we've done projects for every last one of these different organizations. And we're, we're involved with them. Some of you ran the, uh, uh, the, the race walk run thing for assisted pregnancy yesterday, and they're going to use those funds again to help people who, who need it. We partner with Young Life, a ministry to teens that are in our schools right here at Hayfield. Why? Because our young people, from student all the way down to the, the kids back in kids ministry, they're not the church of the future. They're the church right now. They are. And we want to be discipling them right along with discipling ourselves so that they feel like they are part of the church, that they are the church, and that we know that the church is going to exist beyond uh, our lifetimes. And Young Life is one of those organizations that, um, that goes where the teens are, uh, embeds themselves in where kids, what kids do, the activities they do, and tries to um, befriend them to introduce them to Jesus, and we love that. We partner with Heart Song Counseling, they are a counseling agency that comes alongside of the church uh, to help us in uh, the counseling services that are beyond me and Nick's grasp. We support two missionaries. We support um, a couple that, uh, that's going to Japan. They are a unique couple. They are musicians, and they're going to use their music as a unique av- avenue to, uh, to church plant in Japan. And then we've got the Tempe's. Where are the Tempe's at? Stand up, Jordan and Cassie. All right, these two are special. All right. These two are special. They were a part of our core group. They are professional videographers and, and photographers. And uh, they, uh, they came up here for jobs, found us through a sister church in North Carolina, uh, just normal part of our community group, uh, and uh, starting out our core group, helped us launch the church. We're here for two years, and then somewhere God just gave them the vision that they need to quit their jobs. <gasps> 
and go on a mission field using the expertise that they had to, um, to tell the stories of churches and nonprofits all around the world. And so I told them when they started doing that, it's going to be hard to go back to a day job. Sure enough, four year, three years later, they're still traveling the whole world using their gift of storytelling through video and pictures uh, for churches and, and nonprofits. And for most, and you know, for most of that, they don't charge people anything, just let's room and board and get them there. And, uh, and we call them our own. So we say they're still members of Transit Church. Uh, you can give to them through our website. And our, they're here on our anniversary. I mean, who does that? They're like true missionaries. They came home for anniversary. <laughs> Bless you guys. We provide benevolence to church members in parts of our community where life gets overwhelming. And oh, by the way, we're a church planning church. One day we're going to actually have someone that we're going to come and raise up in our church and we're going to send them, we're going to have a meeting, like I had my meeting in North Carolina, and we're going to ask a few of you to actually leave our church and go with somebody else to plant their church somewhere else. It won't be Transit Church. We don't want to have another Transit Church, but it'll be whatever that person names their church. But as a part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, this is our mandate. We give away 10% of what you give to the church every month to church planning. We support nine churches right now, churches like us that are somewhere in the process of starting a church, and, and we give a lot of money away to, to do that because what we think that churches, church planning is a great way to, to extend God's kingdom. I could talk about a lot of other stuff. We are a young church of young families. Again, there's more children, there's as many children back there as there are here. You guys are fertile. That's a, we, we are a fruit-bearing church. We are. There is, there's also something unique that God is doing here. God has, for whatever reason, we do have a lot of babies, but God has given us a lot of young couples that are infertile. And I'm being serious here. And, and, and through that, we have become an adoptive culture. The, the Mihoks adopted Kansas. Today, we've got a new church member. The Mihoks are here today with Justice, a baby that they're rescuing. I, he's a preemie. And uh, this is his first day at church. His mother was a drug addict, and so there were traces of PCP in his system. And think of a couple that would take a baby in like that and make him their own. There's nothing but God that can do that, and it's in our culture to do that. I could say a whole bunch about that. That's cool. All right, here's some struggles. I only got two. The first one's diversity. And you're thinking, what are you talking about? Isn't it crazy? Here's what's... We aren't special in this. There's a, there's a few churches like us, but this is unique. I'm a black pastor. All right, all y'all on the internet listening? I'm a black guy. And I'm preaching to a 60% room of white people. Yeah, there's no secret in that. We've had a couple people that actually visited our church because they wanted to see the spec. It's like, what is this? And there are some that would come into our setting and say, you know what? We, we are a diverse church, and, and we are. But... I don't want to settle with that. Here's what diversity means for me. We want, to, we want, to, we want our church to reflect our neighborhood. And you all know that the, the world comes to D.C. And right here in Kingstown, the world is here. And that's a hard church to build, a church where the world is represented. But that's what I keep praying for, that somehow we would be able to, to get one at a time and that we would be just like this mix of culture here, that we would be a reflection of the community that we live in. More importantly, I don't want any of us to be surprised when we get to heaven because there's going to be all kinds of people that you might not deal with down here. They're going to be up there. So get to know them down here. 
We want to be racially and generationally diverse. Racially, we want to resemble our neighborhood. Generationally, we want the church to be where everyone is not the same age. I love it that Dick and Bonnie are back from their winter hiatus. We need them. We need people like them in our congregation to mentor us. And we need people like you, all you young people, to influence those who are older. Why? Because that's what the family looks like. That's how the family works. And we are a family. We want older people and younger people like mixing together. We want to be people of unity, not affinity. There are some cultures of people that have a hard time in our church because we are more people of affinity than unity sometimes. There, there are some people that have my skin color that, that don't feel welcome here. It's not that we're not friendly, um, but sometimes our affinity isn't necessarily unity. I mean, we could, you could have affinity. Uh, you know, people of color on one side, people of a lighter skin on the other side. That's like, that's like the bus, right, in the 60s. It's like whites in the front, blacks in the back. We don't want to be that. We want to be all mixed in there, not just dealing with each other because we have to, but actually being united. Why? Because we have a common faith in Jesus and a common Holy Spirit that draws us together. Here's the other struggle, and, and y'all know this, it's, it's transience. And I could just talk for an hour about that. I get, I get depressed every spring and summer because we lose about eight to nine families. Um, there's goodness in this. The, the fruit of being a transient church is that we get to meet a lot of people. And we've seen a lot. We've seen at least, I've, I've planted at least three churches in this one church that I've planted here in, in the transit. Uh, and I smile now, but, you know, I'm still like grieving Troy and Molly leaving last week. Uh, they took off yesterday. They're in Pittsburgh right now. Um, transients can be disruptive because when someone leaves, it's not immediate that their shoes are filled. Um, and that's why we got to be together on the journey. It takes all of us to do a little bit so that the lot gets done. And that's really what we're called to do. And, and then again, we've seen God's faithfulness uh, over and over again. God does refill the seats. He refills the shoes. And what I'm impressed by are the many of you that just jump in. You jump in where there's a need, when we, when we articulate, hey, we need someone to do this. But here's what's special about many of you. You jump in where you don't, no one has even asked you. So I'm going to continue to ask you to keep doing that. So that's looking back. Here's what's, here's what's coming up. What's next? Would you be offended if I say, I honestly don't know? I don't. And it would be wrong for me to stand up here and give you some trite platitudes and just like, like pep rally kind of stuff like, yeah, we're going to go charge the hill. We're not going to go charge a hill because Jesus hadn't told us <laughs> to charge a hill. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, to our church as much as I don't know what's going to happen nationally because this current administration, like something new happens every day, doesn't it? You don't have to answer. It does. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in your life, but I'm okay with that. And I don't necessarily know what's going to happen concretely for our church. Um, I like what one pastor said. This is an old guy that, that pastored a church for 30 years, and he was asked the question of how he did that, how he lasted in the same church, pastoring the same people for so long. And his reply was, we cried a lot, we prayed a lot, and we waited on the Lord a lot. And honestly, no pastor in my shoes wants to, that, that, that's not a good vision. I don't want to hear that. Right? I mean, 
I want to say, well, we changed the world. We saved a lot of people. We baptized a lot of people, and we saved a lot of marriages, and we're a megachurch now. That's not what he said. He said, we prayed a lot, we cried a lot, and we waited on the Lord. And I think that's the vision that we need right now for our church. Just coming alongside and, and, and being the church to each other, but also being the church to our neighbor. That's the kind of church that I think we're supposed to be. So I don't know what the next five years will hold for Transit Church, but here's what I know. God's going to be faithful to you and your family. If you're here for a year or two or three, he's going to be faithful to you. He's going to give you what you need more than what you want. He is. He's going to challenge you from the pulpit because that's what Nick and I are called to. He's going to draw you closer to Jesus by the Spirit. He's going to mature you and flourish you for his glory. And I know that he's going to do the same thing about our, uh, for our church. God is going to be faithful to us as a church. He's going to lead us and use us for his purposes. And here's our job, to keep pressing into God, to discern, uh, to try and discern what he's trying to do. Here's some specific things I want us to focus on. Being a healthy church with healthy pastors and staff, healthy elders, uh, healthy uh, volunteers, healthy systems. Uh, I am excited as I could be. Uh, that it's taken us five years to get here, but we are finally at a point where we have a plurality of elders, of, of elders who are going to be around for a little bit, and who Jeff is not the only one leading the church anymore. I, I sort of guide us along, but like from really on everything, I'm not the one that you should come to to, to ask, well, what, what should we do? I don't make those decisions by myself anymore. Thank the Lord. And so if Jeff could just fall out or just something should happen to Jeff, the transit church is not going to depend on Jeff. And we should thank God for that. We want to be constantly making disciples of Jesus who love God, who love one another and the world about them. Why? Because that's, that's our job. That's our mission to make much of Jesus. We, want to, we, we started this grand experiment this year with Nick at the helm of working on our community groups. We want to grow our church primarily by growing our community groups, welcoming our neighbors into our homes and helping them to learn about not just the church, but about Jesus and what it means to serve and to love him in our homes. And then uh, perhaps they might come to church. That's our grand experiment. Community in our day can be hard. And so I think it's important for us as followers of Jesus to focus on that. And so uh, that really is one of our aims this year, to have Christ exalting um, community groups throughout all of D.C. We want to continue to lead with the word. Uh, in Acts 29, we call this our air war. Okay, It's the thing that sets the tone for everything else that we do. And so we'll continue to open books of the Bible. Next week, we're going to open the book of Mark, and we're going to study that for the, uh, for the fall, uh, sort of going on a journey with Jesus. What does a journey with Jesus look like? We're going to look at and find that out in, 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 uh, in the Gospel of Mark. And in this fall, we're going to do something different. We're going to talk about redemption from the, from the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus shows the deliverance of Israel from their plight in slavery out into freedom. And we're going to take that book and that idea to talk about uh, some of the things that trap all of us as, as people. What are some of the habitual sins that hold us in bondage? And uh, I think that's going to be something that's going to help us set an atmosphere where we're not wearing masks as Christians. And I just want to pro, you know, challenge all of you to press into that when we get to it. So here's the last question I want to ask. What's your part? 
What does it look like for you to come alongside our church to respond to stuff like this? Because this vision isn't just for me and Nick. It's not for our paid staff. It's not for our volunteers. If you call Transit Church, your church is for all of us. And I want you to um, prayerfully be invested in who we are as a church so that your commitment to us doesn't, I mean, you don't have to get something from us to be committed to us. That you're, that you're invested because you know that you're supposed to be a devoted church, church member, right? And so uh, here's six ways you can be devoted. I'm going to give these real quick, and then I'll be done. First, let's be de- devoted to gathering together. What does that mean? Come to church. I'm serious. As a pastor, I want you to come to church. If not my church, come to somebody else's church. Come to church. As a Christian, you're supposed to come to church. Why? Because the Bible tells you, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. But do it all the more as you see the day approaching. You need us. But we also need you. So gather with the church so you can hear the, the preached word. You can receive the sacraments. They are efficacious to you. There's something that happens when you're sitting under preaching and you're receiving communion that you don't even know is happening. And God wants that to happen in your life. And you do that. You gather with the church, not because you get what you get out of it, because when you come, you bless others by your presence. We can be devoted by scattering together. So church is not just Sundays, but it is when we leave. Um, So here's the thing. We do, I mean, you're a missionary. And God wants you to be a missionary in two ways. Firstly, he wants you to be a missionary from the sense that you are leaving here, meeting as a community. So getting to know your neighbors and inviting them into fellowship with you. And you're doing the one another of scripture. But he also wants you to be a missionary from a sense of that you're reaching, that you're reaching together, that we do outreach, that we know that we are being sent. You know why Nick does a benediction at the end of the service? Because we're sending you out as, as emissaries to the kingdom of God that you would go and be his representatives in your neighborhood, where you work, uh, as you recreate, letting people know who Jesus is in the flesh. We want to pray together. I heard Mark Dever say two weeks ago at Together for the Gospel, prayerlessness is self-confidence. And we have, in our short five years, been a little bit self-confident. All right, there's nothing that we will do as a church that, unless we bathe it in prayer, is going to be worth it. So I want to be a praying church, and I want you to come alongside us and pray. We do. We have... Every second Friday, we have corporate prayer and worship. I'd love to see some of y'all out there praying with us. We pray for the needs of our church. We pray for the needs of our community. We pray for our nation, that Jesus would be exalted through our lives to his glory. Let's be a church devoted to serving together, not because of what you get out of it, but just asking yourself, how can I help? Why? Because that's the thing to do as a Christian. And lastly, we want to be a church that gives together. We don't talk about giving here a lot, but we need your resources. One day... We want to move into a building. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Yes. Be praying for that. Pray that we will find an eight to 10,000 square foot building in the, in the three square radius of Kingstown and that we would have favor with God and men and that he would make it so. Let it be so in Jesus name. Pray for that. Now I want to call you to respond. How are we going to respond? I got this prayer that I want you to recite with me. I wrote it. I want you to say it with me together. And then we're going to corporately sing a song together. We're going to corporately receive communion together. And then we're going to corporately eat ice cream to celebrate our five-year anniversary (laughs) together. Stand up and let's say these words together. Jesus, we acknowledge that this church belongs to you. We want your vision. We need your power to carry it out. We pray it will be for your glory 
As we look back over the last five years, we ask that you give us eyes to see the ways you have been at work among us and through our church. As we look forward into the coming years, we ask that you give us faith to follow you wherever you would lead us. As we look to your word, help us see Jesus and the beauty of the gospel and what he's accomplished for us. That's a good prayer. Amen. Amen. Stand and